So, um, praise God. Okay, well, let's get started tonight. We're going to finish this up. This is on the kingdom of heaven. As we've already gone over this a couple of weeks, we're going to finish this up today. Uh, the list that you've got, I tell you, most of the time if you let me work on something for two weeks, it's going to grow. It's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger, and this got bigger and bigger on us. So, anyway, we're going to go through this tonight. So, Heavenly Father, thank you, Almighty God, for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for victory in this house, O oh God. And Father, we just pray now, Lord God, that you would lead us and guide us and anoint us as we continue, Father God, to study this beautiful kingdom of heaven. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So just to refresh, the kingdom of heaven began whenever Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He made a way for a new race of people. And in order to get into this race of people, you have to die and be reborn. And the way that you're reborn, Nicodemus said, how can a man crawl into his mother's womb again and be born? That's what Nicodemus said in John chapter 3. And Jesus said, you don't have to do that. You just have to be born of the water and of the spirit. And so the way that we get into that new race of people is that we die to the flesh and we come alive to Jesus Christ. We come to an altar we confess our sins, we turn our life over to Him, we build a relationship, and whenever we do that, then the spirit man comes alive. I, I know you know this because I've told you it a bunch of times and I know you all always listen to me. But in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathed on the, on the disciples, He didn't just blow air. That wasn't the purpose that whenever it says Jesus breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. That he didn't just blow on them. But that verb, breathe, is only used three times in your scriptures. And that verb, breathe, always has to do with bringing to life something that was dead. God breathed on Adam. God breathed on the valley of dry bones. And God breathed on the disciples. And all three times, that particular verb that's used as breathe has to do with bringing something to life that was dead. And so when Jesus breathed on the disciples, he didn't just blow on them so they'd fall down. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have said that. He didn't, just breathe, he didn't just blow on them, but he awakened something within them. He awakened that spirit man that was dead with Adam. And whenever he blew on them, that spirit man awakened. And when it awakened, they became new vessels. They became new creatures. They, they now had a spirit mind. They now began to understand spiritual things, whereas before they were pretty much stumped on. They couldn't understand nothing. So the spirit man comes alive whenever you become part of this new race and you become part of what the Bible calls the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is simply the kingdom of God on the earth. It's the kingdom of God on the earth. So if you turn to the second sheet, the kingdom of heaven, we went through that the kingdom of heaven is realized by the dying of the race of Adam and the rebirth into the race of Christ. We went through that. We went through the fact that he who is reborn has the earnest of the spirit living in them. We talked about that we can experience baptism in the Holy Ghost once we become part of this new race. We talked about that a person that's in this new race can pray with authority in the spirit. And we talked about that the person that's in this race now develops fruit that's not part of the race of Adam, but it's part of the race of Jesus Christ. The love, not just, not just love, not just the feel, not just emotions, but actual verbs, if you would. I, I can demonstrate love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, those things are in Galatians 5.22. You, you, you don't have to grit your teeth and make those happen. As the Holy Spirit grows in you, those things begin to produce fruit. Have you ever been by a fig tree and heard it grunt? Have you ever been by a fig tree and heard it moan? Have you ever went and felt of a fig tree and felt it shaking trying to produce a fig? Have you ever done that? No. Why do you not, why, why didn't the fig tree groan? Why don't you hear the bark splitting or something as it's trying to produce figs? Because that's what it naturally does. It naturally produces figs. And as long as that tree's alive, it's going to make figs. 
if that tree stops making figs, then you know something's wrong with the tree because it's, it's, what it does is it produces figs. Is that complicated? If you plant a tomato plant, it's going to make tomatoes. You don't have to go out there and figure out, grab a bee by the wings and say, okay, cross-pollinate it. Come on, do your thing. You don't have to do that. That, that tomato plant in the ground will produce a tomato. If it doesn't produce a tomato, then you know something's wrong with the plant. Or in my case, I let the weeds get too high and the cutworms killed them. But other than that, it's going to produce a tomato. If, you're going to, if you put out strawberries, it's going to produce strawberries. You know, it's going to produce what it is. And everything in life produces what it is. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't buy a cat and, and, and it reproduce a horse. It doesn't do that. It reproduces cats. Everything reproduces what it is. And that's what you do as a Christian. You produce these fruits of the Spirit because that's what you are. You become love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness. That's what you are. So that's what you produce. And it's, it's just as simple as that. I don't have to grunt trying to fall in love with somebody. That's, I, I, just, I, just, I just become more in love with Jesus. And that love for other people just grows. Right? It's that simple. So the next thing that we're going to talk about tonight are the works and the gifts of the Spirit. So, most of the time when we talk about gifts of the Spirit, you think about the ones that are in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. That's knowledge, the revelation gifts, if you're looking at your sheet there. Most of the time when we talk about gifts, you think about these gifts. You think about the revelation gifts, which are knowledge, wisdom, and discerning of spirits. You think about the power gifts, which are faith, working of miracles, and gifts of healing. Or you think about the utterance gifts, which are prophecy, diverse types of tongues, and interpretation of those tongues. If I say the gifts of the Spirit, that's most of the time what people look at, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. But there's other gifts in the Bible that are given by the Holy Spirit outside of those nine gifts that everybody thinks about. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 says this, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. For we, so, be, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having gifts differing according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. So there's prophecy. Of ministry, let us wait on our ministering. What is, what is the gift of ministry? Some people enjoy ministering to other people. Some people enjoy taking Thanksgiving baskets out and, and ministering to people. Some people enjoy stopping off at a, a widow lady's house and cleaning up the yard, raking up the leaves. Some people enjoy just ministry things that they, that they don't consider to be ministry things. It's just, it's just things they enjoy to do, but it's a ministry that comes out of this church or a ministry that comes out of the kingdom of heaven, if you would, that, that, doesn't, that, that people just love to do. It's, it's a gift of ministry. So, uh, he that exhorts on exhortation. We need people that are exhorters. Lord knows we've got enough people that tear stuff down. We need people that lift, us, lift people up, that say, hey, good to see you this morning. Hope you had a great week, you know, or, or that compliment or, or this, just exhort or people in the congregation that, that exhort the congregation to worship or that you find as someone that's inspirational. You know, um, when I was a kid, they, they would always talk about some person or something that whenever they sang a certain song or whenever a certain scripture was read, this particular person would get happy, would get excited, would begin to maybe get a little beside themselves, and they would say the whole church got blessed. Well, that's an exhorter. That's somebody that, that, that just encourages us. That, that pushes us forward, that maybe we've had a bad day, maybe we've had a rough, a rough patch of it, maybe there's a lot of sickness or a lot of things going on in the house, we can't seem to get top of it, and that person has the ability 
to encourage us, to exhort us, to, to press us forward. So that's a gift, that's a motivational gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. There's going to be people that just have a gift to be able to give. They give of themselves, they give of them finances, they give of their time, they give of their emotions. They're just, they're always givers. They're just, uh, you know, this church has several people that, that have the gift of giving, not just finances, but of their time, their encouragement. They're, they've all, they're always giving of themselves. Jesus said, if any man's going to be great in the kingdom of God, let him be servant of all. So that gift of giving, that gift of being able to, to give of yourself, to give of, the, of yourself, your finances, your, your, your whatever, that's, some people have a gift that, that are able to, to do that so easily. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's see what else is in here. He that ruleth with diligence. Some people have the ability to take certain situations and, and sort them out. They have the ability to organize an event, you know. Some people have that ability. They, when, they, when they come on the scene, they just know what needs to be done and they start assigning people to do it and people just naturally fall into their lead. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a gift that not only works in the church, but the person that has that gift, it also works on their job. It works, it works all around them. Some people just, they call them, they say, well, this person's a natural born leader. You heard them say that? Well, that, that's a gift of God to be a natural born leader, someone that can encourage, someone that can, that can put things right. Um, so that's, that's also a motivational gift. Let's see what else we got in here. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So these are called motivational gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. They're gifts that aren't normally associated with the power gifts or the or the revelation gifts, or the utterance gifts, but they're gifts of God just as much. They're divided severally by the Spirit to whom He will, and they're necessary gifts that are also used within the body of Christ, within the kingdom of God. Because if you're going to have an event, you know, the, the pastor, I, I hate to tell you all this because I'm going to bust your bubble, but the pastor's not good at everything. Not even with Kathy helping me. <laughs> There's some things I just can't seem to get. I'm just not good at it. And I need people that come alongside me that are good at it. That can, that can say, here, let me take that for you. It's obvious you're not doing a very good job with it. <laughs> so let me handle that. The Christmas store that's gone on here for years now. I, if, if you wanted me to do that, we'd just shut the door. I, I, that just overwhelms me. I, but but there's, there's, there's a few ladies in this church that that's their ministry. That's what they love to do. They gather it up. They put it up. They, they do all the things. They deal with all the stuff. They take it all down. It's a ministry gift. It's a motivational gift. And, and those gifts are, are there to help the body, you know. They're all just as necessary. The, the person that, that rules, the person that organizes, the person that shows mercy is just as important as the person that can lay their hands on somebody and they be healed. Just as important. They're all important. There's no, there's no gift that's bigger than any other gift. Whether you consider yourself, oh, I just, I'm just nice to people. I'm just exhort. I just, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. They're, they're, all the gifts are equal. There's no big gift and little gift, but they're all equal in the sight of God, and they're all equal in the body of God, and they're all necessary in the body of God. So, let's see what's next. The next one's in Ephesians 4.11. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So, Ephesians 4.11. These are called the ministry gifts. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. What are these gifts for? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So let's, let's talk about these five ministry gifts for just a moment. We have 
The first one, we have the apostle. The apostle is someone that God has anointed to be able to touch any of the other four offices. An apostle can church plant. An apostle can pastor. An apostle can teach. Most of the time, apostles go, they, they mostly, well, like, um, I was trying to think of a good example. But an apostle, most of the time, doesn't stay at one place very long. That's what I'm trying to say. An apostle will be there for a while, and then an apostle may move to another spot. But they're, they're a, a person, a man or a woman, that God has used to touch all the other four offices. He, can, he, can, he's, he's a, he has the ability to do whatever he needs to do in order to promote the kingdom of God. The next thing you have is the evangel. No, they have the, uh, who's next? You know what? I did that all wrong. Can we rewrite the tape? Here we, I need to start with this one. <laughs> Many times as I've done this and now I messed it up. See, that's why I need help. So the, the apostle can touch all the offices. <laughs> Here we go. The apostle can touch all the offices. That kind of person. The pastor, I need to use this hand. The pastor is married to the church. So the apostle can touch all the offices. The pastor is married to the church. He is the guy that is the shepherd. He, the, the man or the woman that is the shepherd. They're the ones that, that are able to pastor the church, able to deal with the day-to-day, -day, able to teach, able to help the church to grow. And God brings alongside pastors, teachers, and prophets. So you have prophets and teachers, and their function is to help keep the pastor straight. So that if I get off into some kind of weird something, I should be able to be taught or I should have a prophet that's able to help me stay straight and keep the church moving in the right direction, not get off on some weird tangent. So you got the, the apostle that can touch all the offices. Then you got the pastor that's married to the church who brings teachers and prophets alongside of him. You know, sometimes we'll have, we'll have people come in and, and preach besides me that come with a different message or you know, and, but the, the last one is the evangelist. And if you notice the evangelist, he, he's, he's kind of out here by himself. And there's a reason for that. Because evangelists are weird. <laughs> Bo's an evangelist. <laughs> they're, not, they're not weird. But they're, God, they're people that God have ordained. I, said I just said that for a laugh. They're people that God have ordained for a specific task. Evangelists in the Bible are, are men and women that went into the areas where God was not preached. And they went in there and they were like they were like the first, the tip of the spear that went in there and brought the gospel. You know, Paul was an apostle, but he was also an evangelist. He would go in and, and because of that, evangelists often don't conform to the to the what we call church. They don't they don't conform very well. Because their thoughts are different than a pastor's thoughts. If you put an evangelist in the place of a pastor, it doesn't work very well. Same thing about putting a pastor in the place of an evangelist. Because their mindsets and their jobs are different. It's for the perfecting of the saints. So an evangelist is going to be different than a pastor. Um, even though they're both ministers, but they're different, they're different gifts. You need evangelists. If there's anything we've lost in this country, it's evangelists. It's people that are going to an area and just pound the word of God into that area day after day after day after day till they see the powers of Satan broken. Most, most of us today, we don't want to go into those areas. We want to go in the, in the rural areas, where it's, or not really in the rural areas even. They want to go in the, in the suburbs. That's what I was thinking of. Suburbs where the offerings are better and the people are easier to talk to. They don't, they don't want to go in the inner city where all the problems are. They don't want to go out in the rural areas where there's not very much money. They want to be in the suburbs. And, and, and you, need, you need that evangelist to continue to push the gospel forward into areas. That Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Promote the gospel. Go to areas where Paul says, I didn't want to preach somewhere where Jesus was named. That's the, that's the mindset of an evangelist. They go into hard areas. They stay there till the power of God moves. And so you've got to have them all. You've got to have the, 
the apostle, you've got to have the, the teacher, the, the preacher, I mean the pastor, the, uh, the, the prophet, all of those. And then you, you, have, you need that evangelist too that can continue pressing the gospel into areas where Jesus is preached. And those are all ministry gifts. If you go to be a minister in the Assemblies of God and you come before the sectional committee, the first question we're going to ask you is, please give us the clear evidence of your call into ministry. And if you say, well, I don't really have one. I just thought it'd be fun to be a preacher. Well, we're probably not going to let you be one <laughs> because we believe in a called ministry. We believe that if you're called to be a minister, you'll have that call. Some people have visions. Some people hear of the Macedonian call. Some of us, like me, just knew that this is what I was supposed to do. I didn't really have any magic, anything that happened. I just knew this is what I always wanted to do. And, and, but if you're going to the ministry, you need to have that call. You need to have that gift working within you in order for it to be effective. So ministry gifts are just as important gifts as the revelation gifts, as the power gifts, as the utterance gifts. All of them work together. You've got to have them all in order to have a healthy church body. You've got to have people that know how to lead. You've got to have people that know how to give. You've got to have people that know how to show mercy. You have to have people that know how to rule. If, you have, if, if you, your board members need to, be, need to be guys who are guys and ladies who, who, who have the gift of governance, who, who understands how, how govern, governance works, who knows how to, how to uh, put together, uh, keep things moving from a, from a governance standpoint. So it all has to work together. It's, it's just like up here, you know, we got, you got musicians, you know, if, if, and what would it, you know, they're necessary. We don't all play guitar. We don't all play bass. We don't all play drums. We don't all play keyboards. But we need people that do, right? Whew, good. Glad y'all gave the right answer there. We need people that can sing. We need, we need, we need uh, young people that are coming up that we can train, that we put up here to sing and train them to, so that they can be useful in the church. We need people that know how to teach Sunday school classes, that are teachers. We need people that not only just come in there and read a lesson, but they have a heart for those students that are in their class. <clears throat> we need teachers on Wednesday night that does more than just read the lesson to the, to the girls, <clears throat> but they have a heart for those girls. We need more guys out in Rangers who don't, just come out there to build a, a, a boat or whatever they're building, but instead has a heart for those boys and want to see them saved, you know. That you, you need that. That all works together to form the church. If you don't have that, if it's just the pastor, then you've lost all of those motivational gifts. You've lost the ministry gifts other than pastor, and you just have one person. It, statistics show that one person being the pastor, trying to motivate a church, will effectively disciple about 50 people. That's about as big as that'll ever get. No matter how charismatic he is, no matter how wonderful him and his wife are, no matter how much you love them, if somebody else doesn't come alongside with some of these other gifts and work with the pastor, then that church will run about 40 to 50 people. You start bringing people alongside of them, to work with them, to make up for their weaknesses and to bring more of those gifts together, you'll find that from 50 to 100 is a pretty quick jump if you have somebody working with them. 67% of all the churches in the Assemblies of God, 13,000 churches in the United States, 67% of those churches run 100 or less on Sunday morning attendance. 33% of that 67% runs 50 or less. And those statistics are directly related to the amount of, of ministry gifts, motivational ministry gifts that are available to that pastor as he tries to work with that church. Does that, does that make sense? That's, that's, if you like math, that's statistics. And uh, so the gifts are important. It's important to have, I mean, what would... <laughs> What would we do if we didn't have guys that knew how to run the sound? Sound, And every time I took a microphone, it squealed and hollered and hissed and blared at you. You say, my goodness, can't we find somebody that can work that thing? We, we'd probably just do without it. You know, but it's important to have it. We can't, we can't make Facebook go without this. So 
It's just important. You know, all these gifts are important. Um, there's one, I, I picked two or three key verses when it comes to the gifts. No matter what your gift is, if it's motivational, ministry, relation, power, or utterance, there's 1 Corinthians 14 gives us three key verses of how these gifts are to be administered. It doesn't matter what gift it is. If it's, if it's governance, if it's ruling, if it's mercy, if it's tongues, if it's interpretation, if it's healings, whatever it is, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us three things about the gifts and how they are to be administered. Are you there? I want you to see these. Number one, 1 Corinthians 14.5 said, I mean 14.3, wrote down the wrong one, 14.3. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Number one, the use of those gifts need to be for the purpose of edification, building up the church, exhortation, and comfort. It's not to try to set the nursery workers straight because they're not changing the diaper right. Unless you're doing it in such a way to exhort. To, to comfort. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference, right? Shake your head or something. <laughs> Exhortation, edification, and comfort. That's the first rule in the use of a gift. The second rule in the use of the gift is found in 26, 14, 26. Paul says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together? Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. All gifts. All gifts. So what has he said about them? Let it be done unto edifying. So everyone, everyone has a gift. If everyone has a gift, let everything be done to edifying. Don't let it get confusing. Let it build the congregation. Because in Corinth, in Corinth, they were having problems with these gifts starting to clash. They were, they were, they, somebody might be giving out a tongue and somebody over here trying to give an interpretation. Someone over here has a prophecy and everybody's walking all over everybody. And when it's all said and done, it's nothing but a chaotic mess. And they leave out of there and say, boy, didn't we have a good time at church today? And everybody else, all the sinners are saying, what in the world are they doing? They're crazy. They're nuts. So... Paul says, let it all be done unto edifying. So the, the ministry gifts, the, the uh, motivational gifts, the revelation gifts, the power gifts, the utterance gifts are for the purpose of edifying, exhorting, and comforting, and let the gifts be used in such a manner that they are edifying. And the last thing that Paul says is found in verse 40. And he says, in the proper use of the gifts, verse 40, let everything be done decently and in order. If we get out of order, then Paul has some very definite guidelines for us to use to bring the service back in order. Let everything be done decently and in order. Because God's not a God of confusion. He's not a God. He's, you're not going to get people saved by doing things that are, are confusing, doing things that are chaotic. So Paul says, let everything be done decently and in order. And the people that are in the kingdom of heaven, that are that are on that, they have we have the opportunity to be filled with these gifts because you don't possess them, right? You don't possess a gift. The gift is given by the Holy Spirit severally as He will. So, right now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you could be used in any of these gifts. The Holy Spirit. We'll use it severally as he desires. If you, need, if you need to be able to pray for somebody to be healed, you don't have to call somebody that's a healer. All you have to know is that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and that gift resides in me because the Holy Spirit resides in me. And I can lay my hands on the sick and they can recover. I can, I can have a word of knowledge for you because the Holy Spirit lives within me and I don't have to call somebody that's used in the word of knowledge a lot in order for that to happen. God can use me right now because the Holy Spirit lives in me and he, <clears throat> and he divides that gift severally as He wills. Right? If I'm in a situation where I need an extreme amount of mercy 
in order to keep things calm and moving forward, then I don't have to try to call somebody to come and settle everything down. The Holy Spirit can give to me mercy right now so that I can be merciful to those I need to be merciful to. <coughs> that makes sense? Okay. And you, you're able to have that because you're in the kingdom of God. Let's move on to the next one. And the next one says that the person that is in the kingdom of heaven can work all the works of Christ. John 14, 12 through 14. John 14, 12 through 14. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we can work the works of Christ in the kingdom of heaven. I, I thought that was pretty awesome. He says, greater works than these shall you do. So what can be greater than raising somebody from the dead that's been dead for four days? What, what's, what can be greater than that? So maybe that word greater don't mean more spectacular. That word greater may mean more than. Because Jesus was one man working as the Son of Man, also as the Son of God, who was working at that particular time. But when I look across here tonight, I see more than one. I, I see a bunch. And we can work the works of Christ. So greater works in number shall we do. Not because we're greater than Christ, but because we're more of us than, Christ, than, than just one, right? So that, that tells you right there that God intended you to be able to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. He intended you to be able to, to work the works of God, to be able to do the things of God, to be able to, to, be, to, be able to teach more than one teacher, more than one preacher, you know, I told you, 13,000 churches across the Assemblies of God in the United States. We should be able to do more than Jesus did as one person in Galilee. Plus, we've got a lot more things available to us now, like the Internet, those types of things that we, can, we should be able to, money, churches today are, are, have a lot more money, a lot more stuff we're able to do. And we should be able to do greater works than Jesus, not greater in spectacular, but greater in number. Because God has given us, the, whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. What stops that from happening? What stops, what stops that miracle from happening? It's if we quit, if we lose faith, if we feel the assurance from God from the inside that God is working a work, if we feel the power of God stirring in our soul as we pray, if we know that we know that we know that we've touched the throne of God and God has assured us that he's bringing healing and then when we don't see it in 30 minutes, we say, well, I guess I missed that. You just, you did, you just did. <laughs> you got to keep pressing because whatsoever you ask in his name, if in his will, if your words abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done. The only thing that stops that is the same thing that would have stopped the Americans from beating the Japanese in 1945, and that is if they quit, if they stop pressing the war forward. And that's what we as the church do, as the body of Christ. We press the war forward. We need to realize that we're in a war. We need to realize we're on the winning side and keep pressing the enemy out, pressing forward. So, so we can work the works of Christ. The next one is this. Wins every battle against the kingdom of darkness. So, how many of you believe that you have the opportunity to win every battle against the kingdom of darkness? Raise your hand. Thank you. Turn with, and here's the reason why. Turn with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, and let's look at verses 12 through 17.
So the Assyrian king is trying to attack the king of Israel. And Elijah, Elisha keeps telling the king of Israel where the king of Assyria is trying to attack. And so the king of Assyria says, Who, who's, who's deceptive among us? And his counselor says, nobody's deceptive. But the Lord talks to Elisha and tells him the things that you utter in your bedchamber. So he decides he's going to go get Elisha and kill him. So this is where we pick the story up. 2 Kings 12, uh, 6 verse 12. Uh, one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that's in Israel, tells the, that's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. And the king said, go and spy out where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Below he's in Do behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore the king sent horses and chariots and a great host, and they came about by night and compassed the city. And when the servant of the man of God was risen up early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And Elisha said, after he had his coffee, Fear not, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And if God cared enough about Elisha to overwhelm the enemy with horses and chariots of fire, then I'll tell you, he does the same thing for me and you. God is no respecter of persons. And anything that comes to me passes first through the hands of a loving God who times it and tempers it so that I can be successful with it. So, with every battle, I can always win. Matthew eleven twelve is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. God didn't call us to be complacent. He called us to be moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and the violent take it that word take it is harpizio, and that word means an act of violence, a forcefully advanced something. So, take it by force. Look with me now at uh, Matthew 16. Matthew 16. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And when we look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. It says, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter said unto him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you, what? The keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You have power and authority in the, in the name of Jesus to bind and to loose. You can bind the things of the devil. You can loose the things of God. I'm not saying you're God. I'm just saying you're working under his power of attorney. Right? You're able to bind sickness. You're able to bind disease. You're able to bind things that need to be bound. And you're able to loose spiritual things. You're able to loose the Holy Spirit. To move into situations where he's been blocked. You're able, you're able to bind and to loose things. Why? Because Jesus had the keys to the kingdom. He has those keys. He also has the keys to the kingdom of darkness. You remember in Revelation, let's go over to Revelation 1, 4 through 6. I don't think that, I think it's later, but let's look and see what. Revelation 1. Four through six. John to the seven churches which are at Asia, Greece to grace, grace to you, and peace from him which was, which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, 
and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then drop down to verse 16. It says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth for strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his hand upon me and said, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. He has the keys to the kingdom of darkness. He has the, he has the keys. Hallelujah. <laughs> It's a lot easier to go against the gates of hell if you got the keys. It's a lot easier to get in this building if you got the keys. And Jesus gave us the key. The key to, to the kingdom of God is thou art Christ, the son of the living God. And because he is the Christ, he has given us the keys to the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whatsoever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Your words carry power and they carry authority when they're said under the anointing and the, and the, and the protection, or if you would, the, the power of attorney of Jesus Christ because he has won the victory. Hallelujah. And he has the keys. So we have the ability to win every battle against the kingdom of darkness. We are the kingdom of God on earth. We are the kingdom of God on earth. We'll go back to Luke Am I going too fast? I feel like I'm going too fast. You good? Because we're taking the test next week. Now what do you say? <laughs> you won't be here. <laughs> Y'all did all right on the last test. Let's go to Luke 17. We are the kingdom of God on this earth. Luke 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. In other words, you're not going to see signs and wonders and things in the heavenlies to let you know, oh, the kingdom of God is here. Neither shall they say, lo, it's here or lo, it's there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within me. The kingdom of God is within you. When you walk into the dollar store, the kingdom of God has showed up in that dollar store. When you walk into Parkdale Mall, the kingdom of God has showed up in that, in that, in that store down there, in that mall. When you, when, you show up on, and when you walk into a hospital room, the kingdom of God has come into that hospital room. The kingdom of God lives within me. And because that kingdom of God lives within me, I am able to accomplish the things that the Holy Spirit opens up the doors for me to accomplish. I can win every battle that I'm, that I'm faced with, whether that battle is against my own flesh, whether that battle is from things coming against me. I can win every battle because the kingdom of God lives in me. I just have to nurture that kingdom of God. I have to nurture it. I have to cause it to grow. I have to, I have to you know, um, if, if you're going to lose weight, if you're going to get older and you're going to pick up muscle mass, you, you can't sit in a, in a lounge chair and watch movies and eat popcorn, and drink Cokes, and pizza. You'll lose muscle mass and you'll gain weight by doing that. But if you, wanna, if you want to, to maintain your, if you want to be, you know, 65 years old and still able to do a squat, I mean, with like this. <laughs> Then you got to start before then working at it. You got to keep that body active. You got to keep those, li those ligaments moving. You have to work at it in order for it to happen. If you don't work at it, it'll die. You'll get to where if you just sit in the chair, you'll get to where you're tired all the time. You say, I just don't know why I'm so tired. Well, you're tired because you're not doing nothing. You, the, the lazier you are, the lazier you want to be. That, that's, I'm preaching good now. <laughs> the lazier you are, the lazier you want to be. And you can get so comfortable being lazy that you just don't feel like you can ever do anything. But if you, if you want to do something, then you've got to get up and do something. You have to make this body move. It, or it, it'll, it's, my body's just as happy sleeping until 11 and, or 10. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, 
That's my body's fine, but I got to make it get up. I said, you got to, you got to get up. You got to put your feet on the floor. You got to get dressed. You know, I don't usually wake up grumpy. I let her sleep, but <laughs> actually we're opposites. She's morning person. I'm not the morning person. So I guess she lets me sleep. But anyway, I'm just saying you got to do something. It's the same way in the kingdom of God. You know, if you want to grow in the kingdom of God, if you want to be strong, if you want to be the kingdom of God on earth, if you want to have that power working within you, then you got to work it. You have to, you have to, you have to feed yourself with the word of God, right? He's the bread. You have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. You have to feed yourself on the word of God. You have to feed yourself in prayer. To feed yourself with worship music that keeps your mind, you know, keeps the mind of the flesh down and keeps the mind of the spirit moving forward. But if you do those things, then the kingdom of God will work within you. But if somebody asks you to pray and you say, well, give me 30 minutes. I need to read the word a little bit and pray a little bit before I come in there. Then, then you, you, you. That's like somebody saying, I want you to clean and jerk 400 pounds. And you say, well, just man, I got to warm up, you know. I got, and you go over there and you pick up a bar of 40 pounds. You say, I got to warm up. You're, you're not going to make 400. You're not going to make 400 unless you're worked up to 400, right? I mean, that's, that's the way it is. And it's the same way in the kingdom of God. The more that you feed that spirit man, the stronger the spirit man gets. And the Bible says that if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. John says that the seed of Jesus lives within me and I've got to get plumb out of the spirit in order to sin. So, the kingdom of, we are the kingdom of God on earth, and as people see us, they think that's what Jesus is like. And how many of us have had people tell us, well, is that what a Christian's like? You know, whenever we slip up or say something wrong, they say, oh, I thought you were a Christian. You know, why do they say that? Because they expect to see the kingdom of God in us. And I realize that we're not always perfect, and we're not always going to do it right, and there's going to be times whenever, whenever we, 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 have, we have an issue. That, that's going to happen. But when that happens, then they should be able to see that the forgiveness and the mercy that God has for us is also part of the kingdom of God. So, the next thing that's in here is that we have power and authority over all the works of the kingdom of darkness in Jesus' name. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. We have power and authority over all the works of the kingdom of darkness in Jesus' name. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, this is Jesus commissioning the disciples to go out. And in Matthew 10, 7, he says, go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the disciples were there. And the kingdom of God lived within them. So the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of God on the earth, was at hand because the disciples were there. Heal the sick, here's what you do. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. That is the ability that we have in Jesus' name. Let's, 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 uh, let's bounce over to Luke 10 and let's see when the disciples came back from this little excursion, this little experiment where Jesus sent them on a short-term mission trip and they were able to go out and minister as Jesus would have. Let's see the, what the results of that short-term mission trip was. Luke 17, 20 and 21 says this. <clears throat> uh, 17, 17, 17. It says, And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us into thy name. Lord, even the devils are subject to us under thy name. In verse 20, he says, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, Father, I thank you because thou hast hid the things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered of me, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, and whom the Father is but the Son, and to whom the Son will reveal him. And these are, these are the things that they learned while they were out, is that demons were subject to the name of Jesus. Diseases were subject to the name of Jesus. 
all manners of sickness, disease, all those things were subject to the name of Jesus. And if they're subject to the disciples who were basically unlearned men at this time, but when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, then the gifts of the Spirit began to work through them of their own accord. If that was true then, don't you think it's true of us today? That we likewise have power and authority over all the works of the kingdom of darkness in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. All right. As we continue on here, the kingdom of heaven, those in the kingdom of heaven, they fight using spiritual weapons. So if we go to 2 Corinthians 10, I feel like I've been preaching all around this for a month. 2 Corinthians 10. Four through six, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are those weapons? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought under the obedience of Christ. So the weapons of our warfare, we use spiritual weapons. We use weapons mostly that help us in our minds to put on a godly mind to not let the, the powers of, of, the, of, of darkness begin to invade our mind, begin to allow the flesh to rise and begin to put doubt and confusion and, and offense and all those jealousy and envy and all of those things that lusts in our mind. We cast down imaginations, every high thought, thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. And then in Ephesians, of course, we preached on this a couple of Sunday nights ago, but in, in Ephesians 6, we have the armor of God. We'll read that tonight. He says, we don't, in Ephesians 6, 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. You want to know what we fight against? There's what we fight against right there. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand. Having your loins girt about with truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, word, which is the word of God. So we have weapons that we use to fight against the, the powers of darkness. And we need to know how to use those weapons. We need to understand how to use them. Lastly tonight is the kingdom of heaven works in faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Anybody have any questions or comments? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you study faith, you'll find out that there's two, faith is mentioned in two places. It's mentioned as a fruit. It's mentioned as a gift. And here we see that it's the substance of things hoped for. Because God's done it before, you know that God will do it again. It's God's faithfulness, the substance of things hoped for. You know that you're not abandoned. You know that you're not an orphan. You know that God hadn't deserted you. God saved you, filled you with the Holy Ghost. You've seen his work in, his, in your life. And because he supplied needs in the past, you know that he's faithful to supply needs in the future. So when you get in a situation, and, and, and all of us do this, you get into a situation where something that you've depended on, maybe it's a paycheck, maybe it's a, 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 your education, whatever it is, you get into those situations where that particular thing that you've always depended on has crashed and burned and you suddenly discover that I'm, I'm not able to do the things I used to do. You don't suddenly throw in the towel and say, well, I just quit. You, you begin to say, Lord God, you're faithful. It's the substance of things hoped for. The second part of it is the evidence of things not seen. That's the gift of faith. That's calling things that are not as though they were. 
because you know that God is faithful and you see it, you see it even though it's not there by faith. You see it, you call it, you experience it, you know that it's coming and you believe it because it's faith. It's the gift of faith. So you see both of them right there in that verse. The substance of things hoped for is God's faithfulness, the fruit of faith, the evidence of things not seen is the gift of faith. Abraham offered Isaac on the altar with the gift of faith. Because the Bible says that he was confident that God could raise up that boy from the ashes. Before he ever put him on the altar, he was confident that God could raise him up from the ashes. That's faith. That's the gift of faith. So, as we go on here, for, for by it, the, gifts, the gift of faith, the faithfulness and gift of faith of God, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the words were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, which he obtained witness when he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, he yet speaks. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Must believe that he is, gift of faith, and that he is a rewarder of God's faithfulness. It takes both. Faith is simply, no matter what people try to make it, faith is simply believing that God can do what God has said. That's faith. It's that simple. You know, I, I've, I've boiled it down to my own theological phrase that simply says God knows what he's doing. I can have faith in God because he knows what he's doing, and that's faith. It's that simple. It's not, it's not a twitch. It's not a feeling running up and down your spine. It's not looking for signs and wonders and mile markers along the way. It's just simply knowing that if God said it, it's going to come to pass. It may take 30 seconds. It may take 10 years. It may take a lifetime. But I'm telling you that if God spoke it, it will happen, and that's simply faith. And we that are in the kingdom of heaven have faith and confidence in God that if he sends us somewhere or if he does something for us or if he calls us into something or whatever the Lord is working in our, in, around us, we have confidence that it works for our good. We have confidence that it works for our good. Even if it hurts, it's working for our good. Even if it crashes and burns, it's working for our good. Even if it sends me into bankruptcy, it's working for my good. Even if, even if the, the, the car wrecks, it's working for my good. Whenever I'm living for God and following the will of the Lord, then all things, and in the Greek, all, pause means all. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and to those who are the called according to his purpose, to the ones who are in the kingdom of heaven. If I'm in the kingdom of heaven and I'm working the will of the Lord, then no matter what situation I come against, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, it's going to turn out good for me sooner or later because I'm in the kingdom of heaven and I have power over all the works of the devil and Jesus loves me and I'm part of a new race of man. And so that completes my study. If you have other things, you can add to this. This is, like I said, you can't find this in a book because I tried for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so these are things I've dug out of scripture. There's probably more that I have not dug out that you probably can or know about. But these are the things I brought up. So, in closing tonight, three kingdoms, the kingdom of God that encompasses everything, the kingdom of darkness that was given to the devil by Adam, which is the kingdom of man, the plant kingdom, and the animal kingdom, and then the kingdom of heaven, which is a new race of man, who will run, one day be redeemed along with the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom. Right? Because one day the lion will lay down by the lamb. One day roses won't have thorns on them anymore. Because the, the, the kingdoms are going to be redeemed as well as mankind. Right now man's redeemed. 
But the kingdoms will eventually all be redeemed. And all will come back under the kingdom of God. Satan will be cast away. We'll have no tempter then. <laughs> Amen. All right, questions or comments? Did I go too fast, go too slow? Make sense? All right, then stand with me tonight. That's all I can hope for. I did. I will do it again. Okay. So Sunday morning, no Sunday school. Church will start at 1030. We won't have an evening service. So, All right. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for your power and direction, Lord God. And we pray tonight, Father God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, Father. Lord, may we be Jesus on this earth, O God, as you've intended, Father. And may your Holy Spirit, God, change a generation, Lord. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Be with this congregation throughout the rest of this week, Lord. I pray, O God, as people travel, Lord God, and as their families come in, Lord God, or as they travel to meet their families, Lord, God, that you'd keep your hand upon them, Lord God, that you'd protect them and keep them, O God. Bring us back to your house, Lord God, at the appointed hour, Father God, and let your kingdom come and your will be done in everything that we say and do. For it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.